Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. I'm glad to finally be here. It's been a fun ride, and uh, my family will be joining me in uh, about a month, so they won't be here until the middle of July, and uh, so pray for me. I'm a bachelor right now. Pray for my poor wife, because she's a single mom of three insane boys, and uh, their insanity is my fault, so um, uh, she's probably cursing my name right now. He's not here for Father's Day, Uh, but uh, so pray for my wife. She's uh, got a got her hands full uh, for the next month, and they're going to be doing most of the packing and stuff without me. I packed a bunch of stuff, but uh, most of that I brought with me, and so, man, did I work out this deal from my, in my favor or what? <laughs> How many of you hate moving? Oh, my gosh, yeah. So, those of you who are raising your hands, thank you for volunteering to come help me when our truck gets here. Um, I see that hand. So anyway, we're uh, uh, really honored to uh, be a part of your church family, and I know my family's excited about coming out, and uh, I'm just thrilled to be here for my first official Sunday. So um, uh, thank you guys for being here this morning. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis, um, <clears throat> the book of Genesis. We're going to look at chapter 37 uh, right away. We're going to just jump in and read one verse of Scripture. Um, from the story of Joseph. Uh, this week, if you would, uh, I would encourage you to go back and read the entire story uh, about Joseph in, in the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to be hitting some of the highlights of that story today. Uh, but um, uh, it's uh, in Genesis 37 through 45. So uh, a bunch of chapters in the Bible dedicated to this story of a guy named Joseph. We are just going to read this first little verse here for a second, and uh, it says in Genesis 37, 36, meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Now, what was that first word that I read there? Everybody say that with me. Meanwhile. All right. Some of you aren't awake yet. I saw your mouth's not moving. You were like, "Mm, caffeine's not working yet. So uh, everybody wake up and practice this with me. Everybody say, meanwhile. Meanwhile. Perfect, perfect. You said meanwhile. Uh, Some translations might say, in the meantime. Uh, And uh, the the whole gist of today's message is around that word meantime. Uh, Have you ever been in the meantime? Maybe you're not sure what I mean by that. Uh, The meantime can sometimes be kind of a mean time, can't it? Uh, The meantime is when you are... Uh, in a particular place that you know you're not where you were, but you also know that you're not yet where you're supposed to be. And uh, the meantime can be kind of a frustrating place to be. It's uh, uh, not always easy on us. And we're going to talk today about why we hate it so much. So uh, if if you're taking notes, you can write some of this down. Uh, I encourage you to do so. You remember 
things uh, a whole lot more if you take notes. In fact, uh, lots and lots of studies have been done on uh, memory and what we retain from what we hear and that sort of thing. And uh, the, the fact is that most of us, when we hear a message on Sunday, by Monday we've forgotten most of it. 90% of it's gone. And uh, so if you want to make the most of your time on the weekends, I encourage you to uh, take some notes, maybe go back and review those later during the week. Use that as maybe a part of your, your quiet time or your time with God. My wife calls her uh, time with God every day, her treasure time. And um, so maybe you have a treasure time and you spend some time with the Lord every day uh, or regularly. I encourage you then to take those notes and say, Lord, uh, what do you have to speak to me um, uh, today through what I learned this weekend. I encourage you to take what you learned in the weekend into the week uh, and let it really transform you. So if you're taking notes, write it down. The meantime is the gap between where we are and where we're supposed to be. Now, anybody want to be honest this morning and go ahead and raise your hands and say, I'm not where I'm supposed to be? Yeah, some of you are being honest, and a bunch of you are liars. Uh, because the truth is most of us live our lives in the meantime. Uh, did you know that life on earth is the meantime? You're meant for more than this, and uh, that uh, the meantime will end when your heartbeat finally stops, and then you are in the presence of Jesus. Uh, when you finally die here on earth, then the meantime is finally over, and then everything's going to be awesome. But right now, things aren't always easy. And the story of Joseph really illustrates this very, very well. The meantime, we know where we've been, and that's not where we were supposed to be. We know where we're supposed to be, and we're not there yet. We're stuck in this middle time, the meantime. And the meantime can be a mean time. Maybe you've thought things like, I'm meant for more than this. What I'm going through right now, where I'm working right now, where my marriage is right now, where my family is right now, it's supposed to be better than this. It's supposed to be different than this. Maybe you're in the meantime because you made a mistake, and you're like, oof, I, I, I should have known better. Or maybe I did know better, and I made the wrong decision anyway. Anybody ever done that? I could have had a V8. Boy, that dates me, doesn't it? For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, look it up on YouTube. Um, uh, maybe you're just so frustrated with the meantime that you're in right now. You're just saying, I, I hate this situation. I'm not supposed to be here in an unhappy, unhealthy marriage, in a season where I'm not spending enough time with my kids, where maybe I don't even know my kids. Maybe you're in the meantime, you're stuck working beyond the time that you wanted to work. You're, I'm supposed to be retired. Maybe you're reporting to somebody who's completely incompetent. Anybody there? Don't raise your hand because your boss might be in the room. Um, isn't that, you ever been there though? Where you go, how did this person get promoted to this job and stay there for this long? And you're just like, gritting your teeth and just, just, just enduring it. Maybe your meantime is that you're swimming in debt. And when people talk about Dave Ramsey, you just kind of go, look down at the floor, I'm just going to, you know, I don't want to hear about that Dave Ramsey guy and being debt-free and freedom and all of that kind of stuff. That, you know, because I've got $40,000 in credit card debt and oh my gosh, and you know, uh, if you're there, you're not alone. 
Don't beat yourself up. It's just the meantime. It's a season. It's a, t- it's a time where you're stuck, where you're not supposed to be, but eventually God's going to use it for something good, and he's going to change it. Maybe your meantime is an addiction. Maybe your meantime is like me. You're out of shape. Hey, round is a shape. That was supposed to be funny. You guys really are, all right, I'm going to have to tell more jokes to get you guys awake this morning. But uh, let's go ahead and, and uh, talk about this guy, Joseph, for just a second. Joseph was uh, his dad's favorite son. Now, for those of you who are wondering, where's the Father's Day tie-in, right? Uh, this is it right here. This is a lesson in bad parenting, all right? Um, uh, 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 Joseph's dad, um, Jacob, was, uh, had 12 sons, and clearly he picked a favorite and wasn't ashamed of that. And uh, he picked his favorite and singled him out and gave him special treatment. While the brothers were off working, Joseph got to chill out at home. Um, while the brothers were wearing hand-me-downs, uh, he went to uh, Nordstrom's and uh, bought Joseph an Armani jacket that had a, a bunch of colors on it. It was just beautiful and fantastic. I mean, you can imagine Joseph, he has the latest iPhones uh, while his brothers are all still using flip phones. And they're like, Motorola's used to be cool, you know, and, and um, <clears throat> you can just imagine this world that he's living in is pretty great for Joseph and not so great for the rest of the family. Uh, they're all frustrated. They're all jealous. And, uh, you know, Joseph wasn't even the youngest. It'd be one thing if dad was uh, babying the youngest, but he was the second youngest. Seems like an odd person to choose as the favorite, but Joseph was dad's favorite. And uh, Joseph was uh, at this time about 17 years old, ruggedly handsome kid, and uh, had everything going for him. Dad loved him, was giving him everything he wanted. His future looked really bright. And Joseph was a dreamer. In fact, literally, he would dream at night. And um, these were, to him, messages from God about what his future was going to be like. And he had this dream uh, where 12 stars uh, were there, and 11 of the stars bowed down before one of the stars. And Joseph got up the next morning and interpreted the dream and was like, I'm going to tell my brothers about this. And so here's what he went and told his brothers. Hey, guys, guess what? I had this cool dream, and all of us were there. We were stars. And uh, all of you guys, 11 of you, bowed down before me. It was really great. Joseph wasn't the smartest guy. Let's, you know, I mean, he chose at this young, impetuous time of his life to go and tell this story uh, to his brothers. Probably wasn't the best decision that he ever made. And uh, so there he is. He makes this decision to tell the story, and the brothers get way jealous at this point. They're like, you've already got everything going for you, and now you're telling us that one day we're going to bow down before you, we're going to make you bow down before us. And so they beat him up. They threw him in a hole, they took his Armani jacket, they ripped it to pieces, they squirted uh, lamb's blood all over it, and made it look like he was killed by a wild animal, went home and told dad, your favorite son has been killed by a wild animal, oh boo-hoo. And uh, dad was devastated, Uh, Joseph was in a hole, and brothers were arguing about what are we going to do with him, Uh, should we kill him, Uh, what's going to happen here, and the oldest brother uh, Reuben had some, uh, at least some good sense, and he said, well, let's not kill him. Uh, let's sell him into slavery. If we're going to get anything out of this, let's get a few bucks, right? And um, so 
he sells his brother, or they sell their brother, Joseph, into slavery, and then uh, he was sold to the Midianites. Uh, Midian, that word, literally comes from uh, the Hebrew words midyon, or mi- word Midian, which means strife. He was sold into strife. The people of, sold to the people of strife. Now, if you're going to be sold to anybody, that's not the people you want to be sold to, right? You want to be sold to the person that's going to be good to their slaves and good to, you know. But uh, he was sold to the Midianites. They were slave traders, people of, of strife. And uh, then they took him and sold him to a guy named Potiphar, which is where we started out this morning talking about the meantime. In the meantime, the Midianites sold Joseph to Egypt, or in Egypt to Potiphar, uh, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So there we are. We've caught up to this part of the story. Joseph is there. And uh, I want you to write some things down. Uh, one of the reasons we hate the meantime is because the meantime hurts us. Newsflash, the meantime hurts. I know a lot of you are thinking, well, we already knew that. That's pretty easy to deduce. And we see that in the story of Joseph, it's no different. The meantime hurt him. Um, uh, Joseph's story is, is one where he was such a good worker. He decided, you know what, uh, I'm going to honor God with where I am. He didn't throw a pity party. Oh, I'm a slave. This is terrible. You know, God, get me out of this mess. He decided I'm going to be the best slave that I can be. And so he worked really, really hard. And uh, he worked so hard, in fact, it caught Potiphar's attention. And before long, he was promoted to chief slave. So he's the top slave in the house in charge of all of the other servants. And uh, a pretty good position to be for a slave. If you're going to be a slave, why not be the best slave, right? Uh, The one who gets the best treatment. Joseph Joseph was used to that at home. And uh, so now he's getting some more preferential treatment again, even as a slave. Uh, This guy just, you know, it it seems like maybe he can't be knocked down, right? Uh, He turned the best, uh, the worst situation into a a pretty good situation. And... um, so here he is, he's done really well, and uh, he has caught the attention of Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife, uh, she was like a, a lot of ladies when their husbands are, are gone, uh, working too much or, you know, traveling or whatever, they get lonely. She got lonely. And uh, uh, so Potiphar's away, and she's sitting there one day watching Joseph cleaning the pool, and she thought to herself, Wow. I mean, she's like getting excited about this guy's cute. And uh, why didn't I notice him before? And, and uh, she decides it would be a good idea to ask him to go to bed with her. And uh, she says, hey, Joseph, come in here to the bedroom. I uh, need to ask you something. And Joseph, when he was propositioned by Potiphar's wife, he took off running as fast as he possibly could. Now, how fast did he run? He ran so fast that when she grabbed his uh, uh, cloak that he's wearing, his servant's clothes, that they literally tore off of his body and he ran out of there naked. Did you you know that in the Bible, we are never, ever, ever taught to fight sexual temptation? We're never taught to fight it. We're taught to flee it, to run from it. You're faced with sexual temptation, do what Joseph did. Turn around and run the other way. Now, unfortunately, that didn't work out so well for Joseph. Because Potiphar's wife had a brilliant plan. Well, I can say that he propositioned me. And I can scream, rape, pervert, whatever. And uh, everybody's going to think that I'm right because there goes Joseph running naked through the courtyard. 
You know they call him the streak. Anybody know that song? Yeah, a few of you. Yeah, you can YouTube it. Uh, he likes to show off his physique. Anyway, uh, Ethel, don't look. Sorry, I just love that song. It's a, by a guy named Ray Stevens. Um, but uh, uh, Joseph is streaking through the courtyard. People are thinking exactly what Potiphar's wife wanted them to think. Arrest him. He goes to prison. Now, it was not like our judicial system um, where there are various steps. It was like, you know, you get accused of something, you are guilty until proven innocent, and um, you're toast, you just go straight to prison. And so he, he goes straight to prison, and uh, there he is. His meantime just got worse. The meantime hurt him. You ever been there where the meantime is just painful and you think to yourself, I don't know if I can take any more? You're You're broke. You're in debt. Your finances are just terrible. They're in the toilet, and then your transmission goes out. Okay, God, thanks. The meantime hurts. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. It can be insanely frustrating. Can you imagine how Joseph was feeling at this moment? God, you gave me a dream and told me that I was going to be a superstar and that my brothers were all going to bow down before me. Um, Maybe you didn't know this, Lord, but I'm in prison. Can you imagine how frustrating this would be? I mean, just put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute. What would you be thinking? How would you feel? What a nightmare. So there he is. He's in prison. Sometime later, Genesis 40, verses 1 through 4. Sometime later, another way of saying the meantime, the baker, uh, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. What does all of this mean? Well, Joseph, again, decided to make the best of a bad situation. I'm going to be the best prisoner that I can be. And pretty soon, the captain of the guard put Joseph in charge of the prison. Now, I don't know about, you know, anything really about running a prison. I've got a friend who is a consultant for prisons and uh, for wardens, and he goes around and travels to all these different prisons, and um, I'm sure that his advice is never put a prisoner in charge. (laughs) This is not a good idea, but Joseph was so good, so trustworthy, that the warden decided to let the prisoner become the uh, vice warden, so to speak. You're in charge of all the prisoners, Joseph. And so here's Joseph doing the best he can in a horrible situation. And the cupbearer and the baker of the king offended the king, got thrown in prison, and they were assigned to Joseph. Now, what's a cupbearer? A cupbearer is a guy who literally would carry the king's cup to him and would sample the cup before giving it to the king because nobody wanted the king to be poisoned. What a great job, right? 
You're like, oh, yeah, you get to test the wine before the king does, and it's probably pretty tasty wine. It's really good stuff. And uh, Chateau de la Fitte, you know, or whatever. And uh, <laughs> it's some amazing tasting wine, uh, but it might kill you. There is this one little hiccup with this job. Well, uh, fortunately, this cupbearer had survived uh, his uh, time as the cupbearer, and, uh, but he did something to offend the king. We don't know what he did. Uh, it just says he offended the king. And uh, same with the baker. You know, what did the baker do? That, that, that is running through my head when I'm reading these stories. Well, I want to know more details. Inquiring minds want to know, right? And uh, I've got to know what's going on there. But the Bible doesn't tell us. I think that's kind of uh, an interesting thing. A lot of times the Bible just reports the facts, and it doesn't give us any of the in-between stuff. And uh, I, I think the Lord did that on purpose. It's so that we can kind of insert ourselves in there a little bit. And uh, by doing so, we, we relate to the characters because we start to imagine, well, what would I feel? What would I think? Um, uh, if you're studying characters in the Bible, this is a great way for you to do Bible study. Uh, actually put yourself in their shoes. Ask yourself, how would I feel? What would that do to me? And uh, write some of those observations down. The Lord can use character studies like the study of Joseph uh, or even the study of the, the uh, cupbearer and the baker just to um, begin changing you and shaping you, and you reveal things to you about his character and uh, your character and whatnot. So anyway, that's just a freebie. But anyway, here they are. Uh, the the cupbearer and the baker have offended the king, and they're in prison, and they both have weird dreams. And uh, they, they don't know what their dreams meant. They want their dreams to be interpreted. And Joseph's like, hey, I interpret dreams. Although the last one I interpreted didn't work out too well for me, but let me give it a shot. And uh, they, he listens to their stories, here's what their dreams are, and he says, ah, well, here's what your dreams mean. And he says to the, to the baker, unfortunately, your dream's bad news. Uh, king's going to have your head cut off. I mean, could you just imagine uh, interpreting the dream that way? And uh, so the, the, the baker's kind of disappointed, and then he turns to the cupbearer and uh, says, but good news for you, uh, the, the king's going to forgive you, and you're going to get your job back. And he's like, right, he's excited, he's, he's totally down with that, you didn't tell me I'm getting my head chopped off. Well, the next day the baker gets beheaded, and then the cupbearer gets his job back. And Joseph says, I want you to do just one simple thing for me, Mr. Cupbearer. Please don't forget me. Prison's kind of awful, and uh, I'd sure like to get out of here. So if you would, mention me to the king and see if maybe, you know, I could get a little help here. Cupbearer's like, dude, I'm totally down with that. No problem. I got your back. And then he went back to work and forgot. You ever thought you were going to get a favor from somebody and then you didn't? Man, how disappointing is that, right? And those people, I'm going to unfriend them on Facebook, right? And you get so frustrated with, so here's Joseph, the guy totally forgets about him, and it took two years, two full years before the baker had that aha moment and was like, or not the baker, the cupbearer, the aha moment, oh yeah, I need to remember that guy, Joseph. The meantime can hurt us, but another reason that we hate the meantime, if you're taking notes, write it down, the meantime shapes us. It shapes us. And being shaped and changed by God, transformed by God, is a painful process. 
The Bible says that uh, um, it's like being in the refiner's fire when God is growing us. Now, if you've ever thought about uh, a, a ring, you know, precious material that, that goes into making a wedding ring, um, maybe yours is platinum, maybe it's gold, whatever it is, it was expensive. And um, it didn't come out of the earth looking all pretty and shiny and uh, like this. When it was dug up, it looked kind of cruddy and maybe there was other minerals mixed in with it and it had to be uh, refined, it had to be boiled, put into a fire, thousands of degrees, and uh, melted down. Now, if you were a piece of gold and somebody stuck you in the refiner's fire, uh, don't you think you'd say, ouch? Maybe ouch with a couple of expletives in there. I don't know. It, it would hurt, right? <laughs> it, being shaped, melted, poured, hammered, polished, all of that stuff. That's what the meantime does to us. So you can be thankful for the meantime. Oh, boy. That's hard. Everybody try this uh, phrase on for size. Lord, thank you for the meantime. Would you guys say that with me? Just repeat that after me. Lord, thank you for the meantime. Those words taste kind of bad coming out, don't they? Just, ugh. But we can be thankful for the meantime because it transforms us. It shapes us. It makes us better. The meantime shapes us. Go ahead and look at Genesis 41 verses 1 through 4, and when how long had passed? Two full years had passed. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. And then Pharaoh woke up and was like, dude, I better not eat those burritos again. Weird dream, right? He had gone to the buffet the night before and got food poisoning kind of weird dreams. And uh, he wakes up, this is strange, and it was plaguing him. He couldn't figure out what this dream meant. It was driving him nuts. And he started asking all of his wise men and his magicians and uh, the people that worked for him to interpret the dream. And all of them were like, we can't figure it out, Pharaoh. And I bet behind closed doors they were going, the Pharaoh's losing his mind. You know, he's just, uh, uh, he's going kind of crazy. Did you hear about this dream that he had? And so finally, the uh, cupbearer hears about this and goes, oh, wait a minute. I know a guy that interprets dreams. And I promised him I'd help him. Don't been a little while. And uh, so he decides, he goes to the Pharaoh, hey, I know this guy that uh, can interpret dreams. He happens to be in prison, though. If you don't mind uh, listening to a prisoner, maybe he can figure it out. And the Pharaoh is desperate. So he calls Joseph up, and Joseph goes in to interpret this dream. Now imagine again being Joseph at this particular moment in time. The last times that you've interpreted dreams, it didn't all work out the way you'd hoped. You interpret this dream of your own, and your brothers sell you into slavery. You interpret the two dreams of the guys in prison. One of them dies, and the other one forgets you. And uh, now you've got to go into the president of the only world superpower, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. This guy has the power of life and death right at his fingertips, and 
you've got to interpret his dream. What if the Pharaoh doesn't like what you say? Off with your head. What if you interpret it and it's wrong? Off with your head. Now, if I was Joseph, I would have been nervous. I wish that the Bible would have just put in one little line about uh, how Joseph felt at this moment. And when he heard that he was going to interpret the Pharaoh's dream, he uh, nearly wet his pants. Wouldn't that be cool if that was in the Bible? Well, maybe not those words, but um, something like that so that we go, well, I, I can relate, I understand. Uh, we don't know how Joseph acted or felt or whatever when he went into the, the Pharaoh's presence, but I can imagine how he felt. And he stood before the Pharaoh and he interpreted the dream, and this is what the dream meant. The seven fat cows represent seven years of plenty. We're going to have more than we need for seven years. Uh, weather's going to be great. The economy's going to be amazing. Uh, there's going to be more food than we need. It's going to be fantastic. Everybody's going to gain a few pounds because round is a shape. And uh, we're going to have this great, great time in Egypt, and um, it's going to be fantastic. But the seven lean cows that come up and eat the seven fat cows and then don't gain any weight... That represents seven years of lack, seven years of strife and suffering and awfulness where the economy is going to be terrible and there's not going to be enough food and people are going to be starving to death and it's going to be this awful, awful situation and um, that's what the dream means. And so the Pharaoh starts thinking like almost any politician would at this point in time, right? You know what politicians are constantly trying to do? It's shove the blame off on someone else, right? <laughs> because what do we do? What do we as the people have a tendency to do? We blame the guy at the top for whatever's happening. If it's good, it's his fault. If it's bad, it's his fault. Unless we didn't vote for him, then it's always bad. And, you know, we're weird. But anyway, um, I, re I remember as a little kid, uh, Jimmy Carter was president, and there were so many people that just couldn't stand Jimmy Carter because the economy was bad. And then Ronald Reagan came around, interest rates started to drop a little bit, although in the 80s they were ridiculous. And um, it, it got the economy changed, and, and uh, then it was roaring in the 90s, and um, people were thinking it was great. Thanks so much for our magnificent uh, president because the economy's great. And uh, so the Pharaoh starts thinking like a politician. Well, the people are going to think I'm awesome during the first seven years. But then they're in that next seven years, they're going to start thinking, mm, not so awesome. And they're going to get kind of uh, uh, frustrated with me. I don't want to take the blame, so I need to hire somebody that I can shove the blame off on. And uh, if it doesn't work out, I can kill the guy, and then the people are going to be like, oh, right, our Pharaoh's doing something about this bad stuff that's going on. And so he asked uh, Joseph, what would you do? And Joseph said, well, there's this guy named Dave Ramsey. Actually, that's not in the Bible, but he started thinking like this. Uh, we need to build an emergency fund, right? We need to have, uh, now Dave Ramsey says, have three to six months of an emergency fund. Joseph said, we need to have a seven-year emergency fund. Uh, we are going to do it in these seven years of plenty, start storing up grain. We're going to store up everything that we can. We're going to make a lot of beef jerky. And uh, happy Father's Day, dads, with your beef jerky. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to make a lot of beef jerky so that uh, we can have it during the, the seven years of lack. And uh, then during those seven years, we'll still have plenty of food, plenty of stuff to go around. Everybody 
will be happy, everybody will be well fed, and uh, that's my plan. And so the king of Egypt decides that that sounds like a good plan, and if it doesn't go wrong, he can just say, well, or if it, it doesn't go right, if it goes poorly, he can just say, well, that was Joseph's fault, so off with his head, right? Uh, he can get away without ever having taken any of the blame, and uh, Pharaoh's going to look good no matter what. So he says, I'm going to make you my chancellor. This is the craziest job promotion in human history, all right? Convicted felon <laughs> becomes vice president. Unbelievable. He becomes the number two guy in all of Egypt. You're going to report directly to me, the Pharaoh says. You're going to be in charge. Now, some of us would want to stop there, but that's not where his meantime ended. There's still a little bit to go in his story. Joseph becomes the most powerful guy in Egypt except for the king. He stores up all this good food, and sure enough, seven years of plenty, everything's fantastic, then seven years of famine. But thanks to his good planning, things are still good. And this is when Jacob, his dad, hears about what's going on in Egypt. Now, Jacob and his sons are having a hard time. They're hungry. Their family is going without because there's this terrible famine. And he hears that there's plenty to eat in Egypt, so he, he says this to his sons. Go ahead and look at um, Genesis 42, 1 through 2. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Go get some of that grain so we can not be toast. And this is where Joseph's meantime, this particular meantime, comes to a head. Uh, third reason we hate the meantime, if you're taking notes, write it down. The meantime tests us. It hurts us, it shapes us, and it tests us. Joseph had a tremendous test right here. And this is a test that many of us are facing right now. And maybe we're not passing it right now. Because this test was one of forgiveness. Joseph was faced with, am I going to forgive the people who hurt me most? And when you think about the person that's hurt you most or the people that have hurt you most, do you immediately just go, oh, I have warm feelings in my heart? Or does something else come to mind? I'm just like you. I'm like, when I think about the people that have hurt me most, I have a really hard time getting over that. It's, it's hard. I'm not where Joseph was. What happened in Joseph's story is the brothers show up. They don't recognize Joseph. He's got all kinds of Egyptian makeup and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, the uh, brothers walk in and they hear this music. 
Walk like an Egyptian. Anyway, so uh, <clears throat> there's Joseph. He's walking, talking, acting like an Egyptian. He's got on all this gold weird stuff and the makeup and the whole regalia and looking just like the Pharaoh's right-hand man, which he was. And uh, they don't recognize him. Besides, they haven't seen him in a long, long time. But he recognized them. Isn't that the way it is when somebody offends you? We recognize it, don't we? And we hang on to it for a long, long, long time. And 99% of the time, they don't even remember it. Doesn't mean anything to them. It's hard for us. And Joseph sees them, and it, it, the Scripture does tell us that he wrestles with, what's he going to do? Am I going to get revenge? I've got the power to just say a word, and these guys can all go to jail. They can all be killed. Whatever I want to do with them, I can do with them. God has put me in the perfect position for revenge. But instead, what it came down to was Joseph saying, I'm going to forgive my brothers. And he looks at them and reveals to them who he is. And can you imagine that moment? You're the brothers. And he says, hey, by the way, guys, uh, I'm Joseph. Remember my Armani coat? Can you imagine how freaked out those guys were at that moment? I imagine all of them just went pale, <laughs> just white as can be, and uh, scared for their lives. And Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, for us today, we have a spiritual enemy, Satan, who hates us, and he has it in for us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to make us suffer. He loves it when we're in the meantime because this is going to be hard and I'm going to help them uh, lose their test, fail their tests. I'm going to do everything I can to drag them down, to bring them down. And uh, Satan just loves the meantime. But we have the ultimate trump card in our Heavenly Father because he tells us in his word, Romans 8, 28, God uses all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. What a good God. That what our enemy means for evil, God can use for immense good. And they lived happily ever after in Egypt. That's one of the few stories in the Bible where the family gets the happily ever after. Now, their descendants don't. The descendants become slaves, and then it's a whole new story. Uh, people wonder where the, where the uh, um, uh, pyramids came from. They were built by Jewish slaves. That's it. It's just really simple. But uh, that's a whole other story. But this family, at this time, because Joseph passed the test, It all worked out for good. Isn't that cool? And then ultimately, when we look at the whole other story, you know, the story of the uh, Israelites getting out of Egypt with Moses and all of that stuff, God's chosen people, and um, uh, even God used all of that awful stuff for something great. 
Jesus came out of the nation of Israel. He was one of God's chosen people. We wouldn't have Jesus if it weren't for all the bad stuff that happened to the Israelites in Egypt. Our Passover lamb, Christ himself, ultimately came out of this story. And you know what? God is using this story today, thousands of years later, to affect you and me right now. God's still using this for good. Now, your meantime experience may not have a wonderful, beautiful, happy ending like this. But I can guarantee you. Why can I guarantee you? Because God's word promises it. He will use it for good. For his good, for his glory, your meantime experience is going to be life-changing, if not for you, for someone. We may hate the meantime, but we need to get in the habit of saying, thank you for the meantime, Lord. Thank you for the meantime. Why? Because the best is yet to come. You're going to hear me say that a lot. The best is yet to come. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.